coming up on Magical Medical Tour with my co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman, and special guest, Dr. Dara Salanki, specialist of the pelvic floor. What is the pelvic floor and why is it so important to our overall health? Kegels, are they the answer to your incontinence? Are you suffering from sexual dysfunction or pain? This and more coming up next here on YHTV. This week's episode is brought to you by Support the Mountain's Herbal Parasite Cleanse. This formula targets the small and large intestinal tracts and larvae, the most broad-spectrum formula available today. 100% organic, formulated by Dr. Mikio Sanki, author of the Esoteric Acupuncture Series. For 10% off your first bottle, visit shopyogahub.com and use the coupon code CLEANSE at checkout. Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is my wonderful co-host, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Hello, Dr. Woolman. Greetings, Christina, and greetings, everyone. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I am Dr. Glenn Woolman. I will be your medical guide today, and along with Christina, we will travel to another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy in search of optimal health. Mm, We're very I excited love today. That. I love that optimal health. <laughs> yeah, it, it, everyone should love that actually, because that's what we need. You know, I mean, I, I think of that all the time. Optimal health is where it should be. And we should either be in it or, or trying to return to it all yeah. the time. Absolutely. It's like a lifetime. It's a lifetime journey, isn't it, Glenn? It is. It never stops. But the more that you are conscious of it and the more that you do it on a daily basis, thinking about it, you know, we talk about the six aspects all the time of optimal health. The Absolutely. more that you are conscious of that, the better chances you will be that you will be in optimal health. There you go. One of, <laughs> one of the areas of optimal health that people have problems with, which we're finding more and more today, although you think it's Kind of strange because we've had a pelvis for <laughs> since the beginning of time, <laughs> but since sudden, before so, man, maybe. <laughs> well, never before man. Well, Everything. don't the apes have a pelvis too? <laughs> they do, but it's actually it's actually shaped a little differently, and you can tell that by the way that they walk and the way that they move and things like that. But we're going to find out about that because we have an expert with us today. Uh, Dr. Dara Solanke. Uh, she's a physical therapist and she's a doctor of physical therapy. And her specialty is the pelvic floor and the pelvis itself. And we're finding so many problems mm. in this area now that uh, that's the reason we have her on. She's going to heal the world today, hopefully. So I'd like to introduce uh, everyone to our very special guest, Dara. But before we do that, Christina, you want to tell people how to get in touch with us? Sure. Um, I mean, as uh, most of you might know, uh, you, could, you could watch this online. And if you are, there doesn't matter when you're watching this. It could be a year from now. It could be tomorrow. Be, um, be, we invite you to write your comments or questions into the comment box, and we will actually get it to our guests, no matter when it is, um, or Dr. Woolman, or we will answer your questions directly. And of course, uh, you could always call in. Um, many of you are listening from devices these days, uh, or watching the show from devices. You are very welcome to call us at any time at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818 let's talk and be sure to leave us your contact information so that we can get back to you um we'd love to hear from you so yes don't be shy just reach out to us with even if it's not part of the subject or any subject at all thank you glenn uh perfect that's great and we look forward to your uh comments and replies and questions that's fun for us so without further ado, because we want to get to this topic very quickly, there's much to talk about. I want to introduce our very special guest, Dara Solanke, Dr. Solanke. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for having me. Hello, Dara. Thank you so much for honoring our global community. Well, pleasure is all mine, Christina. <laughs> 
Yay! My favorite yeah. subject, the pelvic floor. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> pelvic floor. More power to pelvic floor. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness that we're doing this topic. <laughs> yes. Power Absolutely. to the pelvis. There like you go. That. Yes. <laughs> like that. We need Inside to have Inside and out. <laughs> it's already my favorite show. So, Dora, before we deep, deeply go into the pelvis, uh, tell us why you became a healer. What were the influences that uh, led you to become a healer and also then directed toward the pelvic floor? So um, I became a physical therapist because I did not want to be an engineer. That's kind of how I went into it. <laughs> Honestly, true story. In my family, everybody is an engineer. My brother is an engineer. My, my cousins were engineer. And I looked at their life and I'm like, no way I'm doing that. <laughs> that is such so, the Asian culture. Isn't that such the right? Asian culture? Yeah, that's It's how, like your doctor, lawyer, awesome. engineer. <laughs> So I'm like, at, at, you know, I decided to be um, in, in something related to medicine. And then I didn't want to be a medical doctor because I didn't want to have emergency and I wanted to have a life. So I just learned <laughs> about physical therapy. It was more, you know, what I didn't want to be. And I'm so glad it worked out that way because <laughs> when I learned about physical therapy, I was in complete awe that we're not using medicine, we're just using movement and movement has so much power and um, being in your body and, and you know, just that's the, that's the guiding force. So that's one of the best decisions I made for my life is decided to be a physical therapist. And um, so I did my undergrad in physical therapy from India. Then I came here, went to USC to get my master's in biokinesiology. That's when I learned a lot about research and um, how to put it all together, how to actually find more information and put it, you know, learn about um, what you don't know. And um, then when I moved to Santa Barbara, I was just not happy with how us PTs were treating our patients. We were not spending enough time. We were not looking at um, the whole body, the whole person that led to opening my practice um, on physical therapy eight years ago. And then in that journey, somehow I just started seeing pelvic floor patients because pelvis was always my area of expertise, but it was more outside of the pelvis. Mm -hmm. um, one of the doctors just sent me a pelvic floor patient because she interpreted when I said I treat pelvis, she thought it was pelvic floor. So I treated my first pelvic floor patient, taught myself how to do an internal exam, and that was the most rewarding feeling ever. And that was the start. And then I took a lot of continuing education courses, learned a lot from my patients, did a lot of self-study. And now I exclusively do pelvic floor work. I've started another practice called Pelvic Health Center of Santa Barbara. And um, the, the vision is to bring more awareness about pelvic floor rehab and pelvic floor health. Mm. It's one of the under, highly undertreated area in medical community. A lot of the times people don't even know that we have pelvic floor. <laughs> so um, that's my calling. That's what I am here in this lifetime, what I should be doing. Dara, I have Fascinating a, a, to me. Dara, I have a quick question. You mentioned interior and exterior. Can you help me elaborate on that? So yes, so in pelvis, the external muscles are the big muscles. That's where we, we pay a lot of attention to. So our glutes, our hip flexor, our psoas, all these muscles are outside of the pelvis. The inside of the pelvis, um, they are the pelvic floor muscles. So it, it, that was kind of the fascination that I had is I was always looking at the outside of the pelvis and I always wondered what's the inside muscles doing because they're the muscles. They definitely function just like muscles and ligaments and nerves. Mm -hmm. So it's not possible that, you know, you, you're just getting one side of the coin affected and not, you know, the other side just doing its job. So mm. if one is off, the other thing has to be off. Mm. So yeah, and a and lot of the times that's what we're treating. A lot of the times we're treating the outside where the pain is coming from inside. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Hmm. It's fascinating to me that you taught yourself how to do a pelvic exam. Yes. Uh, tell me so, about that for a moment. <laughs> 
So I got a call from uh, this gentleman and he said, my wife is suffering from pelvic pain and um, she has levator NI tightness. And I'm like, okay, these are the muscles. And my thought process was, I can deal with any muscle. I can release any muscles. I know muscles very well. So I did tell him that I've not done internal work, but I can totally do that. These are just the muscles and I promise I'll be the first one to tell you uh, if I'm not uh, able to help you. And uh, their choice was come see me or go to Thousand Oaks. And she was not able to sit for that long period of time. So by the time they go there, get treatment and come back, it just would offset it. So bless their heart, they put their faith on me and I, did extensive research and learned and my attitude was these are muscles it is just like if i'm working on somebody's shoulder but from a different angle <laughs> i like that <clears throat> so so you're not totally worried about the cervix the uterus the ovaries you're not when you're doing your internal are you checking those also because you're in the area or you're strictly looking at and palpating musk musculature, ligaments, et cetera? So when we w start working internally through vagina or through anus, the first layer that we counter are the muscle layers. So there are the three pelvic floor muscles, uh, three pelvic floor, uh, three layers of pelvic floor muscle, sorry. So that's what we encounter. When um, OBs are going through that, they're actually going past that layer and directly going into the organs. So we can access the organs. We definitely um, evaluate them, but we are further out looking at the different layers. So um, we do actually mobilize the organs, but we do it mainly from outside, from the abdominal area. But internally, we're strictly going after the muscles. And there's lots to do because we're going after the coccyx, we're going after all these layers of muscles, the fascia, connective tissue, nerves. There's lots to do. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me looking at Western medicine versus many of the Eastern medicines. And there's so many examples, like when we look inside someone's throat, we put our <clears throat> our tongue blade right over the tongue and uh, and look at the other parts. And yet in Eastern medicines, they focus mainly on the tongue and mm -hmm. get so much information from that. And when Absolutely. when I do a pelvic exam or a rectal exam, most of the time, I'm not even thinking that <clears throat> that much about the musculature, and I'm going to the organs. But it's so important yeah. to uh, do all of that. When did when did the pelvic floor become uh, into the limelight? You know, we've always had pelvises, we've always had problems, but it seems like we somehow ignored that for a very long time. If somebody had pelvic pain, it was because of the spine or an injury or something like that. Mm -hmm. Why did the pelvic floor become so prominent? Well, um, not too long ago, just physical therapists started, you know, working with pelvic floor and pelvises. Um, more like 10, 15 years ago, that's when we have a protocol. That's when we have like, okay, this is what we have learned and this is what we're gonna pass on and this is how actually it helps. Um, pelvic floor, anytime we talk about pelvic floor, the next thing comes to our mind is Kegels. Like, okay, so you need, do, we, do I need to do Kegels? So that's when it got just a little bit of attention, but it was primarily, um, you know, we need to strengthen and we need to, you know, clench these muscles. That's it. So that kind of came out in somewhere in 1950s or 1940s around that time. But uh, it was just to like, okay, squeeze something down there. Um, one in three people, four people that do um, Kegels wrong and Kegels are overrated. They just, a lot of the times, you know, you need to be stronger, but you need to make sure that you're relaxed. So. Um, that's when the shift happened. In just, I want to say, in last 10 years, there are more and more PTs doing this work because we're finding that surgery or just doing Kegels or, you know, treating the spine or the pelvis or even the heavy pain medications, not, nothing is helping. Yeah, uh, apparently, but now people like you are helping. So when we 
talk about the anatomy. Have we talked about it enough or is there something you want to talk about with the anatomy before we get into the dysfunction? So I want to just get uh, talk a little bit more about it just to get a reference of how it is because a lot of the times and I see that all the time with my patients is like I have no clue that I have pelvic floor muscles or how actually they are situated or where they are. So um, there are three layers of pelvic floor muscle. The outermost layer is very thin muscle. They are more integrated with the fascia. Um, that's where it's connected with a lot of sensory nerves. That's where a um, lot of, um, you know, if you have pain with pressure, pain with penetration, all that is related to the front layer. The second layer is the round muscle, which is kind of integrated with the sphincter muscle. So with any of the closing and opening function, um, the second layer is really helpful. Also, the second layer can get um, damaged with childbirth because that will get stretched out the most. And the third layer that's called um, the three different muscles put all together would be called levator ni muscles. That's the term that probably we hear a little bit more. But um, these are the muscles which, which actually makes the structure of the pelvic floor. When you try to do a pelvic floor contraction, so-called Kegel, that's the muscle you'll feel more around in the posterior around the anal area. Um, and uh, um, so we kind of have to make sure that we're working on all the front and the back and the, all the three layers together. So just putting a little more, um, you know, being more mindful about the muscle contraction and, and understanding what we're trying to work with. So just, you know, it's not as deep as your other organs. It's actually fairly, you know, outside and it's definitely, it's like a hammock, it's like a bowl. And when we contract, it closes and pulls up. So the, the function of the pelvic floor muscle is, is so multifold. It works as part of the core. It works as a postural muscle. It works at holding all the organs. It works with peeing and pooping, you know, bladder and, and bowel function. Um, it works with sexual function. It works with childbirth. Um, so all this function in just a small area and um, where we need to pay more attention to it and take care of it more. Mm. Yes, I want to mention uh, for our audience, if you're just listening, we are showing a few slides that may be helpful yes. to you uh, during the uh, podcast. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to make a little confession here, and, and this is going to bring up a, a question. When I was listening to one of your lectures, I found myself doing some kegels and trying to test myself to see how good I was at pelvic floor and tightening and relaxing all these muscles. Then I was wondering, uh, I was guessing that probably everyone in the uh, group that were listening to you were doing the same thing. Then mm -hmm. I started wondering, I started wondering two things. One, are you doing this at the same time? Are you always doing pelvic muscle work? But my other question is, can you recognize facial expressions when people <laughs> are doing this? The reason I'm asking okay. is be because Christine and I probably will be doing this throughout the show, and we want to know if we're doing this or not. So, excellent question. So here's the thing. I always say, and this is actually true, not just for pelvic floor, but with all the other muscles too, we're always exercising for our patients. So every time I'm explaining how to do pelvic floor muscle work, I'm doing it myself. So whether it's like I'm explaining how to do core work, I'm doing it myself. So we always say that, yeah, we're exercising for you while you're doing that. So you're not the only one doing those exercises. The second thing is, which is you're gonna find this really interesting is all the circular muscles in our body, they contract together. So for example, if I'm gonna have you say, close your eyes and clench your lips and really make the face small like this, you're engaging your pelvic floor muscles and all the other spinster muscle in your body. They all kind of fire together. So I, at times, have used that technique where, or I see that all the time when patients are trying to engage the pelvic floor muscles and they're not very strong, they do this. So sometimes you can tell by that if they're like really closing their <laughs> eyes and doing that, they're engaging the pelvic floor muscles. Now, on a serious note, that's another thing. We are like this, so much like all day long if you're in 
stress or reading or so. Now imagine what we're doing to our pelvic floor. We're like keeping them contracted um, all the time. And that itself is a big issue these days. And I think we're gonna get to it down the line. So, um, you know, relax your face and relax your pelvic floor. That goes hand in hand. <laughs> so can you tell right now if Christina is uh, exercising? Of course she is. exercising or am I puckering up for a kiss? <laughs> <laughs> See, two in one, you get both. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I want to get into the dysfunction of the pelvis. Yeah. But before we get into the pelvis, sometimes when I work on people and people are complaining of an area that hurts, like the pelvis, I look away from that area first. And so my first, my question to you is, do the feet have any... Uh, influence on the pelvis and do you work on that area to see if this is important before you get into the pelvic area well yes yeah. so we look at the whole body it's not just the feet it's it's you know everything from the from the neck to the toe um our fascia or connective tissue that's the biggest you know it's like a big sheet that's covering our whole body um the way our joints work is if you're off on one area the other area is going to be off so uh, we find you know lot of connection with how the feet alignment, how the knee alignment, how the pelvis alignment, how the ribs alignment, how they breathe, how they're holding their posture, um, how they're moving throughout the day um, would affect their um, pelvic floor function and vice versa. So um, it's, it's all connected. You cannot just treat one area and that's kind of what we need to keep in mind. So let's talk now. We talked about function. We talked about urinating and having bowel movements and sexuality and things like that. That's the function. Mm -hmm. But people don't come to you for the function. They come to you for the dysfunction. Yes. So what are some of the dysfunctions? What are some of the causes of the dysfunctions before we get into actual treatments? Yes. So Generally, with pelvic floor dysfunction, we can separate it into two different categories. One is when there is low tone of pelvic floor muscle and one there is high tone of pelvic floor muscle. So low tone of pelvic floor muscle usually will show up as um, incontinence, um, both urinary and bowel. Um, we still kind of talk about urinary incontinence a little bit. Bowel incontinence is something that we're just not comfortable to talk about. Um, pelvic organ prolapse, which is, I call it a silent disease because uh, or prolapse is when the organs are coming out of their position and they're kind of, you know, dropping down. There are four um, different um, levels um, or grades, grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four, depends on how far out they are. When it's low level, low level grade one or grade two, a lot of uh, patients don't even feel that, that they have a prolapse, but it generally shows up, the problem kind of shows up much later. Um, childbirth is very common cause for prolapse and incontinence, and uh, so is the hormonal imbalance. High tone um, pelvic floor conditions generally can also cause um, incontinence and prolapse, but there's a lot of pain, um, pelvic pain conditions involved with that. So pain with penetration, um, pa muscle spasms, um, nerve pain, um, pain around the vulvar area, um, pain in the coccyx, um, pain with sitting. These are all high tone um, issues. There are some other issues where it's not directly pelvic floor, but issues with um, bladder. Interstitial cystitis is another condition, uh, which I call it um, more fibromyalgia of um, um, bladder, where there's, you know, it's been diagnosed very frequently, but it also can be tied up to pain in pelvis and um, pelvic floor and fascia. So, depends on what we're dealing with. We work with it separately. So, so um, you know, these other conditions can uh, be seen in men and women. We're not just simply talking about um, women here. Um, issues with prostate, prostate enlargement can also lead to pelvic floor um, issues because prostate sits really close to the pelvic floor muscles. Surgeries can cause um, pelvic floor dysfunction, um, scar tissues. Um, that's another very common thing that we see both um, in postpartum um, 
women and post-surgical men. Um, so it depends on what we find we treat accordingly. So if there is high tone, we have to release these muscles. That's why when I made a comment that Kegels are overrated because a lot of the times it's like, oh, you leak, go ahead and do Kegels 100 times a day. It doesn't work. If you are really tight in your shoulder like this and you come in and I say, okay, now do shoulder shrugs, it's not going to work. You have to first release the shoulder and then go into function. And that's kind of what we deal with pelvic floor too. You could be really holding the pelvic floor muscle tight subconsciously, not knowing, or that's how your muscles are locked in. And then if you try to do more pelvic floor work, it, it you will have no change in your condition or it may get worse. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's the that's the shift. That's the part we need to really consider that, you know, we're actually finding more and more pelvic floor tightness than um, pelvic floor low tone weakness. Um, there are some predisposing conditions or our list that can um, cause um, increase your chances of getting pelvic floor tightness. Um, we have a slide for that. Um, there are five conditions that I um, uh, look for. Childbirth is really common. That leads to a lot of tearing, pisiotomies. Uh, if it's an assisted birth, scar tissue from that, um, that really affects the muscle function. Then if there is some scar in the muscle, then your muscle cannot function well. A lot of the times, childbirth can, you know, may not have um, the dysfunction right away, but it usually shows up around menopause because that's when the hormonal imbalance happens. So hormones plays a huge role in pelvic floor function. It will change the consistency of the muscle. It will make the muscle and tissue really thin. Um, the other important factor that we all deal with is stress. We're just in such chronic stress in um, sympathetic overload, and that's where we're holding our stresses. There was an interesting research done where they put you know, actually wonderful woman like you, Christina, volunteered for that research and they put electrodes in the pelvic floor muscles and they tested um, the pelvic floor contraction in different scenarios like um, coughing, sneezing, lifting, bending and really scaring them, putting them in a dark parking lot and scaring them. And oh. that's, guess when they had the most pelvic floor contraction? When they were physically scared. So we are in dark parking lot all the time. We're just kind of you know, constantly <laughs> oh going in there. So stress has such a major role in pelvic floor holding pattern. Um, the other factor is posture. We're constantly sitting in a slouch position and our pelvises are, you know, moved forward. That closes the posterior pelvic floor muscles. That puts too much stress on the front pelvic floor muscles. That's where our bladder is sitting. So that pushes onto the bladder and cause more leaking. Um, another common thing is um, trauma and abuse. Now, now we know how common it is with the Me Too movement. We know that people very commonly are um, dealing with some kind of physical or sexual abuse, and that's where we're holding our trauma. So all these factors, it's not just like, okay, you have tight pelvic floor, let's release it. We have to consider all the other factors and, and treat it accordingly. It's, it's, it's a holistic care. We have to treat the whole person, not just the muscles. Mm -hmm. So we, if we can change that, we can change how you're holding your pelvic floor muscle and how it's going to function. Just want to mention uh, prolapse. When you talk about a woman, a, a woman may have prolapse through the vagina, the bladder may come through the vagina or the uterus may come through the vagina and both males and females can have rectal prolapse yes. where a portion of the colon is coming through the uh, anal sphincter. Mm. I did want to and ask another question. Yeah. yeah. No, go ahead, so, please. No, saying sometimes your intestines can also come out. So that's mm. another prolapse too. Mm. Right. Um, is... be before we move on, just a very... Um, uh, if you could just define for our audience, um, Dara, um, Kegels, because, you know, you yes. put quite an emphasis on that. I do know, and I run into people very often that have no idea what the Kegel exercises are. Yeah. Would you be able to um, explain that to our audience, please? Sure, absolutely. So, so Kegel is, it's actually developed by a doctor named Kegel. So that's why we call it Kegels, because that was his 
form of exercise that he invented. And what basically it means is you're contracting the pelvic floor muscles. So this, because we cannot see these muscles, like if I say lift your arm up, you can see the arm, you can feel the arm muscles, they're bigger muscles, you can you know, perform the movement. The problem with, with pelvic floor muscle contraction is we don't feel or, or have an awareness of where it is. So when we're trying to squeeze, um, as I mentioned, a lot of the times we're doing it incorrectly. Instead of closing and pulling up, we might be pushing down and, and lengthening it. Instead of working on the whole diaphragm together, we might be only working on the posterior muscle, the back muscles, because these those muscles are much thicker and stronger muscles. So it cannot really work well if you're not really able to contract all of the pelvic floor muscle together in the sense of holding it in a functional way. A lot of the times um, when we do Kegels, we're holding our breath. So we go with like, oh. I'm squeezing it, but that's not functional because when you really need these muscles, if you're every time you have to hold your breath in order to get, you know, muscle we'll contraction, <laughs> you'll pass out. Won't, won't really work functionally. So it's it's just kind of doing the muscle contraction in more of a functional way and more of an efficient way. Mm. So um, kind of being aware of engaging the front muscle as well as the back muscle, trying to bring your pubic bone to your coccyx bone and trying to squeeze those two bones together along with taking your sit bones and pulling them together and then pull all the muscles up towards your cranium. That's the um, this protocol that I have my patient follow. Along with that, when you're doing the contraction, the very first contraction, work on breathing out instead of breathing in or holding. So it's kind of like doing a dance because you have to go into that sequence. Wow, that's many la layers. Um, and what do you think of um, those Kegel balls? So it's, yeah, there are actually a um, lot of wonderful um, devices out there in order to bring in more of feedback that, oh, you're squeezing something because it's difficult to feel what you're squeezing. So, you know, devices mm. like Kegel balls or weights, there are vaginal weights, yes. um, there are biofeedback devices, there are electric stimulation devices. It just to kind of bring more awareness on what you're squeezing and, and adding some awareness to it. Mm. Um, they work really well. They're really wonderful um, devices, um, not for everybody, but, um, yeah, it really brings in more of the connection and awareness with the yeah, muscle work. Because I was thinking, as you were describing it, I thought, hmm, what if the individual really has no idea? Because as you say, we can't see that muscle. So how is it that we would even know, and you as a doctor looking at them, yes. <laughs> how would you really know that they are actually contracting all of those and pulling in the correct direction, so to say? Yes. So... So if you gave someone like one of those weighted vaginal balls, et cetera, mm -hmm. um, because I, I do know, I've seen them. I mean, they come in different yeah. weights um, yep. that the stronger you get, it's almost, as you say, the awareness. Now, if mm -hmm. one is using that, would they be using the correct muscles? Um, that's the hope. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't really just like if you're using the weight, then that's going to make you use those muscles more efficiently. Unfortunately, there is that difference in that because the weight is, I mean, the balls are merely there to kind of give you awareness of like the direction of the movement, mm -hmm. but you still would be, you know, contracting one group of muscle more than the other ones. So, um, yeah, just being more mindful about it. What I have my patients do is just get that feeling. It's like, what does it feel like when you contract the front muscle? What does it feel like when you're squeezing those muscles together? And once you, you know, once you start doing it, you, you get the sense of like, yes, this is the correct way. This is not the correct way. Um, so it really helps just, you know, doing it with guidance, making sure you get the feedback on how you're working on it, if you're doing it correctly or not. And um, the the bigger picture is not just doing Kegels, okay? It's like, okay, you're working on the muscle isometrically, individually. The reality of situation is we never work on one muscle by itself. We're always working on a group of muscles together. 
And that's true for any muscle. You know, you could be doing a really able to do a really good abdominal contraction. You might be able to hold a plank position for a minute. That does not mean that you're going to be using the abdominal muscle to lift a box. There is, you know, this gap, this where we have to bridge it that, okay, you have the strength. Can it function for you? So um, when we talk about the pelvic floor dysfunction, as we were you know, talking about incontinence, um, the stress incontinence, which is when you leak, when you have um, increase in the abdominal pressure, like coughing, sneezing, bending, lifting, what happens in that is there is increase in pressure in the abdominal area and it pushes onto the organ and the, abdominal, uh, the pelvic floor muscles are not able to hold the or manage the pressure and then things leak out. So the bigger picture, what we're trying to work on is how all these muscles can work together to balance the posture and the pressure. So again, doing kegels, doing pelvic floor contraction is just step one. Where we headed is how we're going to train these muscles to work in synergy with the other muscles. Wonderful. I'm still, I'm still focused on uh a woman having electrodes inside of her in a dark parking lot. It's quite, yeah. I want to do that test. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there are actually at this time and age, a lot of different devices out there. So there are devices which are pneumatic devices which you insert and it's connected to an app on your phone. It's connected via Bluetooth. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and excuse and me, your husband has the app? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. But um and, and there are games on it. Honestly, like you can squeeze the pelvic floor and the ball goes up and make it like hit that wall and kind of it comes down and keep it up. That's great. And, yeah, and it's not perfect. It's headed in that direction. We have to make pelvic floor work fun. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, sitting and squeezing so yeah but but it's all about making sure that everything is done correctly all the exercises are done correctly so that's, that's going to be at the next apple uh conference <laughs> the pelvic floor Absolutely, app. Yeah. i was They'll trying to convince my seat. right yeah. oh yeah. yeah i was trying to convince my husband to make something like that it's like this is where it's headed can you just you know, come up with an idea. I, so, I, th- I think we need to talk to your husband. <laughs> Collaborate. Yeah, Collaborate. Get your engineer brothers working on this. Well, my husband is an engineer too. So yeah, I actually <laughs> can have the whole team here. <laughs> That's great. So, okay, this is important to me now. Now that we're learning more about the pelvis and its functions and dysfunctions, and you're seeing all these things, are you giving feedback, not just you, but all people that are working on the pelvic floor, is there any feedback going back to surgeons that are doing uh, hysterectomies and removing ovaries and prostatectomies to be more aware of the pelvic floor or doing birth deliveries, knowing that 30 years from that delivery, the woman is going to have pelvic problems. Are they becoming more aware of that because of things that you're doing or is it uh, a one-way street? Well, that's the idea. It's still like the communication channels are still not open. It's so hard to, um, you know, convey that message. Um, I tried my best every time if I see a patient, always like go talk to your doctor about what we're doing. I'm always like, trying to reach out to them. Um, but again, it's not because it's not because they're not, you know, they, they're just not trained in that area. When they do an internal exam, as you said, Glenn, it's just, you know, you're directly trained to, to look at the organs, not the muscles. Mm-hmm. So there is subtle shift in there. I think the biggest shift is coming from the patients. Patients are putting their foot down and say like, I don't want to have surgery. I'm going to try something else. And um, that's where we're seeing a lot of patients coming, you know, that they're looking up, they're reading about it. They're listening to a podcast like this. And then they say, oh, yeah, I want to try pelvic floor rehab. So um, that's kind of as I said, I, I see bigger shift. And obviously we want to, you know, have the medical community work together for our patients. So that's also slowly shifting, but it's still long ways to go. Okay, a woman 75 years old had multiple childbirths throughout her 
life and now is starting to develop urinary incontinence. So she's <laughs> leaking sometimes with stress, uh, sometimes without stress. Does she go to see you first or her urologist or her primary care doctor? Oh my God, Glenn, when you said 75 years old, my first thought was she's just starting this. She's doing really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was thinking the same. It's like, yeah, that is not a little bit of stress incontinence. Then we're talking about origin mixed incontinence. No, so okay. they can come directly to us. California law um, do uh, allow patients to come see a physical therapist directly for 10 visits. So they can come in and um, we can do the initial eval. And if there is any red flag that if they haven't seen the doctor and if they need you know, to be addressed and we send them back and say, hey, see your doctor first. Um, it, if they want to go see the doctor first and come in for physical therapy, that's also a good option. Um, if they've already seen the doctors for that before and have not recommended physical therapy, I don't know how, you know, it will change the second time if they go. But um, yeah, we're, we're like, come in and let, let us help you and uh, let us, you know, work with you as a team and show you how we can make it better. So women and men have problems. I'm guessing that you see more women than men. Is that correct? It is. Um, so uh, incontinence and prolapse, that is one in four women deals with that. We're not talking about pelvic pain. The numbers are mm -hmm. quite high. Think about it. One in four women deals with mm -hmm. um, pelvic floor dysfunction. As the age group rises, those number changes even more. Um, postpartum, that's another area where um, pel uh, pelvic floor dysfunction is very, very common and not looked at. Um, one in three women in the first year of uh, um, their postpartum, um, they do experience some kind of incontinence, prolapse. Um, having pelvic pain postpartum is also very common. There are a lot of times there are fractures in the coccyx and the pelvises that are completely um, undiagnosed because when they complain about pain in the perineum area, the answer is like, oh yeah, you gave birth, you have, will have pain. Um, so if you think about it, if you compare it to shoulder pain or back pain, the numbers are really, really high. But we talk about pelvic, I mean, if we talk about shoulder pain or back pain, with almost like, not pride, but it's like, yeah, people will understand. If I say I have back pain, they'll go like, oh, I have back pain too. And oh, what are you doing? Oh, poor you. But we're not talking about pelvic floor dysfunction. It's not a dinner conversation of like, yeah, yesterday I was just jumping a little bit and I leaked. What about you? Do you do that? Doesn't happen. We, as a, as a matter of fact, the number shows that um, people don't even talk to their doctors or their spouses about um, the pelvic floor dysfunction because it's something that we just don't feel supported. It's quite embarrassing to talk about. So um, we're just not really, um, if, if you're not going to acknowledge the problem, how are we going to treat it? Mm -hmm. Okay, you've just, uh, I'm, I'm the weird one. I do bring it up. <laughs> I do bring it up amongst friends because so yeah. many are going through menopause or have gone through menopause. And that's the first thing we go, oh, don't laugh so hard. You might leak. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> and we try to put a joke around it, but it's actual truth. It's fact. So that's kind of how we're treating the problem. What you just said is like, don't laugh too hard. Otherwise you leak. Don't right. stop running. I, you know, these are all the myths. It's like, I don't drink that much water. Otherwise I would leak or have so to common. all the time. Yes. Just in case peeing. Oh my goodness. Just in case peeing is something that we all are doing. It's like, yeah, I generally don't want to leak or don't have an issue. I'll just go to bathroom whenever I get the opportunity. Uh, patients is like, oh, I know each and every bathroom in downtown area. I know where <laughs> yes. to go. Literally, it's true. Um, <laughs> we just pee when we don't have to, before we go anywhere, before, you know, after we come home, we're constantly emptying our um, bladder. And that's another thing that will make our pelvic floor weak. So going back to anatomy a little bit, our, our bladder is like a balloon and our pelvic floor are the muscles that are holding right at the neck of the balloon. So bladder and pelvic floor, they work mutually opposite. So when bladder expands, pelvic floor contracts. 
And when we have to pee, pelvic floor relaxes and bladder contracts. So if we keep emptying the bladder and not really let the bladder expand, we're not giving opportunity for pelvic floor to contract naturally. Because most of the time it's working in response to the bladder. We never feel like I got like half an ounce of urine in my bladder and my pelvic floor just contracted a little bit. That doesn't happen. It just happened internally. There is the sympathetic uh, parasympathetic nerves going through the spine. Our brain does not kick in when it needs to contract a little bit in response to the bladder. When the bladder is full to a certain extent or certain amount, that's when the signal goes to the brain and brain goes, we got to pee. But our body goes like, we're in the middle of an interview, not a good time to go. So then bladder will say, fine, no problem. I'll stay quiet and pelvic floor get, we got it. We're going to keep the pelvic floor muscle. You know, they'll say they will stay strong. No worries. Whenever you're ready, we'll go. Problem starts to happen when we start responding to that urge. When bladder goes like, we got to go. And we're like, sure, I got to go right now. And every time we start responding to the urge, it, it's like a little toddler. It's like a little baby. We'll, we'll start, you know, learning all the wrong behaviors. So actually able to, you know, hold the bladder, um, the amount of urine, which is, which it should be. We're not trying to set a world record here. It's like, you know, two hours, <laughs> two, three hours, is what we need to do in normal scenarios. And that keeps the function going. That will make the pelvic floor and the deeper neck muscle, which are the involuntary muscle, that will keep it strong. And we see this all the time. It's like one time you have bad experience or one time you had a little bit of leak, that changes everything. It's like, I don't want to have leak. This is really bad. So I'll keep peeing. I'll cut down on my water intake. And um, I will just not let, you know, start wearing a pad just in case. And we start going into these behaviors just to, you know, it's not serious issues, but it will lead to one down the line if we don't change these behavior patterns. And um, that's kind of where we need to bring in the awareness. It's like, no, you don't have to start peeing all the time. You're making the muscles more weak. A feedback uh, mechanism that you mentioned, which really kind of messed me up a little during one of your talks, uh, you had said something like one of the ways to do this is to, when you do start peeing, I think you said something like, you should be able to count to about 18 or 20 while you're peeing. That will let you know uh, 18 yes. or 20 seconds that will let you know that you waited the right amount of time and yeah uh, so that has totally screwed up my life now because now uh, yeah every time I, I need to take the fun out of peeing that's what my patient says like now when I have to pee I think about you and I have no fun so <laughs> right. I've done my job. Oh, I think that's it's exactly fun. right. And I, that's exactly right. So I start thinking to myself, first, I thought maybe I heard her wrong. Maybe she's thinking, maybe she's saying you should be standing there waiting to pee for 18 or 20 <laughs> seconds. And I thought, oh, I could do that. That would be easy for me. But then I realized oh, it was I'm about. I'm so glad we're talking again because, yes, no, that's not the case. Right. So actually, then I realized ideally, that. Yeah, ideally, it's actually. Um, uh, it's not the 18 to 20 seconds. I would say 18 to 20 counts or 12, right. 10 to 12 seconds. Oh, good. That makes so, me feel better now. Yes, yes. So I, you know, it's not the seconds you're counting, then you should be able to count to 18 to 20 if you're counting fast. But if you are just, you know, looking at the time, it's the seconds. No, but, I, um, I started counting a lot faster because I, now I, I'm that's, going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, going for so, records I, now doing all of this it's it's thank you for that dara i appreciate that <laughs> so what you're saying uh, that, is when you start peeing that's when you should start counting yeah so basically you know it's it's not the ideal way ideally i would have you carry a measuring cup and measure every single time but you know that can <laughs> that can create right. some problem but um That'd when you have good screen, that would be yeah I, I make my patients do that well i shouldn't say that i'll probably you know push patients away. Um, 
but yeah, for two days, I have them measure um, how much they pee just to see if they're emptying completely or, you know, they're peeing the right amount. Um, they're, they're holding the right amount in between. But it's like once you have good stream, then it's like 10 to 12 seconds because sometimes, you know, you don't have good stream and it's like, oh, I went, went for 18 to 20 seconds, but that's not the right amount. So it's kind of mm. relative if I'm measuring your data comparing to your data, then it makes sense. But if you're looking at like generally, that's kind of in a ballpark, that's the number we go for, given that you have a good stream. So um, I've mentioned that in my other talk. So the way I go about it is if you can sit through the movie Titanic, <laughs> then you're good because it's all about water and it's three and a half hours. That's how you measure. <laughs> Wow, that, that that ain't gonna work. Uh uh, because <laughs> we because we well we have a rule in this household that you drink half your body weight in ounces. So if you're 100 pounds, you drink 50 ounces, and right. uh, you know, and you try to consume it, of course, before 7 p.m. at night, so that you're not waking up to go. But because oh. of that, we also find that we go more often during the day. That is another myth. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's not. It's not actually related to that. Um, it's not the quality of uh, uh, the the quantity of urine. It's the quality of urine. So, if it it's really depends on how acidic your urine is, how concentrated your urine is. Actually, drinking more water really helps. Um, because your bladder has tremendous capacity to hold. It's not like at three hours, it's gonna start screaming and say, go, you always have the capacity to hold that extra five minutes or 10 minutes to make it to the bathroom. And still you can hold for two, two and a half hours without any problem. Mm -hmm. The other thing is at night, you should not be waking up at night to pee, period. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> how, how, I, I, I get that all the time, and <laughs> I can eventually convince people not to do that. So, yes. That's funny. Now, what, now well, unless, yeah, unless there is, you know, mechanical issue, there is, you know, prostate um, enlargement that you're not able to completely empty out, then that would, that could be a problem. But, um, okay. If there's, you know, no such condition and reason, then our body does release antidiuretic hormone at night, which reduces the amount of urine production. So, um, you know, we should be able to hold um, throughout the night and not go. Interesting. So, so when I was raised, I was also yeah. told that, um, you know, in Asia, the bathrooms are public bathrooms are not the cleanest. Yes. <laughs> and of course, yeah. we were raised that if you don't need to go so badly, do not go until we get home, right? Yeah. So, and there's, and I noticed that there's certain generations here in the Western world that still do that. It's like, if you don't need to use a public bathroom, don't use it. And I, I've, seen with uh, acquaintances and friends where their children will not go to the bathroom unless they get home yeah. and they're holding it for hours yeah. and there was as i was growing up that was also said by some of the chinese doctors if you do that too often that is not good for you I completely agree. So what we're trying to work on is, as I said, not setting up the record of like, how long can you hold? It's when your bladder tells you that you have to go, you should, it, it should only tell you when it's the right time to go. Um, so when it tells you it's time to go, you, if you have the opportunity, you should go. Bladder and your pelvic floor has capacity to hold, as you mentioned, that you know they'll absolutely not go and hold. So it has capacity to do that. You're not testing it every time. You may you may need to hold at times, which is which is fine, but not every time. You should not be holding it. When your bladder tells you you have to go, um, when it's the right um, signal, right urge, then yeah, definitely you should go because it, it can lead to problem the other way because we're like disturbing the, the muscle function and it's, it's communication with the bladder. Interesting. Oh, okay. So, so I'm changing fun. my story now. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, does that mean you're trying not to go in the middle of the night? <laughs> no, I'm. Th this is a scenario. A a 45 year old okay. woman is is leaking. Forget the 75 year old woman. She's leaking. She mm -hmm. goes to you. You put her on some exercises. Uh, is there a point where you should say, well, after doing this for two weeks, three weeks, ten weeks, that it's either you know, if it's successful, great. But if it's not successful, what's the next step? So, um, yeah, that's kind of what we're looking at. Are these muscles capable of um, functioning? That's the first step. And if it's not functioning, then what is the reason it's not functioning? Whether it's tight or weak or there is any nerve issue or there is nerve damage or so. So when we put them on the exercise program, if they're not showing um, any change in the strength, then we have to bring in some other help. So if they're not able to they reach a plateau and it's like, okay, this is how much I can contract and I cannot contract beyond that, then we have might need to bring in the electric stimulation and you know help stimulate that muscle along with active contraction to, to take the strength to the next level. And a lot of the times, as I mentioned, is like it's just getting the muscle contracted does not solve the problem. It's like going to what kind of issue they're dealing with. So in this town, what I get is like, oh yeah, if I go for long hikes, then I have the issue. So then we're working on muscle endurance. That means they, you know, the muscle should be able to hold for longer period of time. So we have to adjust their exercises accordingly. I have them work on pelvic floor contraction for up to five minutes. Um, we work in different position. We work in like, okay, let's practice stepping down movement. Let's practice squatting movement where your pelvic floor is, you know, expanding and contracting. Um, we do a lot of overall pelvic and core strengthening because as I said, it's all about how these muscles are gonna be worked together. It's not just the function of pelvic floor to hold these organs and the pressure in the abdominal area. So we do a lot of um, abdominal strengthening exercises, transverse abdominals and um, pelvic floor, they go hand in hand. Um, we have to strengthen those two muscles. Um, we also look back. So even if it is a 45-year-old female or a 75-year-old female, if they have history of pregnancy, we're looking at the diastasis recti to see if they still have separation from the pregnancy. And if they have separation, then we know that they're not going to be able to engage their, pelvic, uh, their abdominals as strongly as they should. So we have to go back and fix that and work with it. So then we're spending a lot of time with function. We're spending a lot of time with like how you're going to move your whole body using the pelvic floor as an important tool. Okay, I need to represent the Y chromosomes of the species. Yes. Let's talk about erectile dysfunction. Yes. So um, as I mentioned in, uh, just at the beginning of the, I don't know, it was when we were just talking, um, there are muscles that goes right behind the shaft of the penis called bulbocavernosus. That's an important muscle in um, erection, in uh, sexual function, and in bladder function. And um, we do find um, tightness in that muscle. So we are working directly on that muscle along with all the other muscles to work on um, getting restoring the strength and um, working on um, proper functioning of that muscle. So um, there is a muscle responsible for that action and it's you can you can strengthen any muscle. Dara, we're coming toward the end of our show. Is there anything that in preparing for uh, today's talk that uh, we haven't discussed that yet that you think that others should know about specifically? So um, what I want to mention is, you know, uh, Prevention is always better than cure. So we don't have to really wait when incontinence or pelvic pain or prolapse is really bad. I think what um, the way I look at it is we really need to have a shift in paradigm in how we are uh, taking care of pelvic uh, floor related issues. And, and if we could proactively treat our postpartum woman and give them pelvic floor rehab as a part of their care, regardless of whether they have the symptoms or not, and our menopause woman and really having them at that time, um, you know, retraining them how to work on pelvic floor and make sure they're strong, then we can prevent a lot of issues down the line. So, what about um, kids? 
How yeah, young that's exactly where I was going to go. Yeah. Oh my God, we need a lot more time for yes. that. So yes, with kids, um, there's a lot of um, poor um, training pattern that happens. Um, and it starts, you know, as early as two years. It's like how they are trained with potty training. A um, lot of the times this, you know, at this time and age, we're putting kids in sports really soon before they have fully um, developed their muscles. And that leads to a lot of tightness. Um, we're seeing that a lot more. We're seeing a lot of, you know, um, traumatizing experience. If one time they had a painful um, bowel movement, one time they had a constipation, that will change the pattern. And we all have experienced that. One time we have painful bowel movement and that really we get paranoid about it. And with kids, it's like even worse. So um, those are the conditions that we see a lot with our um, younger population. Um, make sure that, you know, in their in their um, milestone development, they are going through each and every milestone. Like make sure that, you know, they are crawling because that really helps strengthening their, uh, their core, the transverse abdominals, which is really important for the positioning of the organs and for activation of pelvic floor muscles. So we, we see that a lot. And, um, you know, I mean, a lot of, lot of the issues then probably what we're dealing with is from our childhood, as we all know, but it's, it can also be like how we were trained uh, with our yeah. potty training. Mm -hmm. Looking forward to your health tip, but one other question. We're very lucky here in Santa Barbara that if we have problems with our pelvic floor, we can come to you. What about people in other parts of the state, the country, or other countries? Who do they look so for? How do they find someone? There are um, there are a lot more pelvic health therapists, so they can just you know search um, if there are pelvic health therapists in their areas. Um, they can, I mean, you know, from the information that we have, work on you know, stress and posture and a lot of other things. And um, just be more aware of the pelvic floor issues and, and talk to the doctors that, you know, these are the things, this is what we heard, what can we do about it? Can we, you know, figure out how to do pelvic rehab or can you look, you know, at how my muscles are doing? So- Christina, any thoughts? Any oh, final? Yeah. If, <laughs> and if you bring it up to your doctor and they shrug their shoulders, it's time to change your doctor. That's what I will say. Because we've been running into a lot of that, uh, Glenn and Dara, where, you know, um, between clients and between, <clears throat> you know, people out there, they're saying, oh, but my doctor says it's, oh, but my doctor says, you know, um, it's not about that. Yeah. It's, it's really up to us as individuals to make strong yes. choices. And sometimes it means changing your healthcare practitioners. Sometimes it it, it does you know, even after 20 years, sometimes that's what it takes. I mean, we have to care and we are, uh, I think we did a show, right, Glenn? Uh, you are your own CEO of your health. Right. <laughs> Wonderful. Right. And, that sounds just about right. Yeah. Yes, because this is so new. And, and Dara, I think right before we came on the show, we had asked about, you know, how, you know, how this is sort of kind of gaining momentum and it should be gaining faster, but because a lot of times with, you know, we are human and, uh, health practitioners are human and there's a lot of ego behind what we do mm -hmm. sometimes. And so what we don't know, we don't know. And sometimes they just don't want to spend the time to delve a little deeper because it might Absolutely. only be one patient coming in. So I would say change your doctor. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and there are a lot of research. I would be happy to provide that research. You can take it to the doctor and say, but this is what the research says. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're and coming then they'll to the say, what, did you Google show? it? <laughs> That's what I hear. No, we asked Dr. Google, yes. <laughs> yeah. Did right. you Google it for that information? I hear a lot of that too lately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my. All right, Dara, we've been waiting uh, for the whole show. It's one of our favorite parts. It's the health tip from each of our uh, interviewers. Yeah. What do you got? So uh, it's, I'm sure you have heard it before but I'm gonna put it in a little different perspective. So my health tip is breathe. Yes. We are not breathing correctly. We're not breathing enough. Um, as we were talking about, one of the predisposing factors was the stress. And stress is we're holding our pelvic floor all the time because we're in a dark parking lot all the time. 
So whatever our pelvic floor diaphragm is doing is what our breathing diaphragm is doing, and that's what our throat diaphragm is doing. It's it's out there in yoga. They already have figured it out. It's not a new information. So if you just work on doing a deep breath and releasing it, we're releasing a lot of that stress and we're releasing that pelvic floor tension out of our body. So I invite you guys and my patients and viewers and everybody to find five moments in your day where you just pause and just, you know, observe what you are doing, how you're breathing and, and just take a deep breath and release just five times a day. Try to go for the times when you are in a bad traffic or in a stressful situation and just separate yourself and be the observer and see how you're holding your body, how you're holding your pelvic floor and go with, why, why am I clenching through there? I just need to let go. That five times in a day, it will bring in more awareness um, about your body, about your breathing pattern and about your pelvic floor. So breathe. Love it. <laughs> Beautiful. Yep. We always talk about the metaphor square breath and I commend you on bringing up breathing as a great health tip. We're very grateful to our guest, Dara Solanke, Dr. Solanke, for her wisdom and expertise. Uh, grateful to all of my teachers and healers for keeping me on my path. And we're very happy to be working with Yoga Hub and Christina and Segovia. And we thank all of our viewers for continuing to support us in all of our work. So thank you again, Dara. And until next week, when we search another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy, I wish you all optimal health. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Thank you so much, Dr. Dara Solanke, for gifting us uh, with this great information and very timely at that. Um, and of course, to all of you out there who um, have spent this time with us, and we hope that it's touched you or a loved one or a friend, and we hope that it um, has given you some awareness and guidance on, on the direction that might help with your overall optimal health at that. Um, thank you. And you can reach uh, Dr. Solanke at her website, um, pelvicfloorsb.com pelvicfloorsb.com. Oh, can sorry, Christina, it it's website. Pelvic Health SB. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Pelvic Health SB. Oh, Pelvic Health SB. Thank you so much for the correction. <laughs> and we will make sure that that is on our website for sure. Um, and you can reach Dr. Glenn Woolman at glennwoolman.com, where you can learn about his metaphor square breath, which as you have heard, um, uh, Dara say that breathing is one of the most important aspects for us towards our health. Um, also, you can reach him at uh, on Facebook at The Medical Guide. So thank you again for joining us. Again, you can reach out to us anytime at 818-LET'S-TALK. We look forward and we invite your comments, your questions, and um, we will definitely get back to you with anything like that. Um, we would love it if you would share our content with others that you know will help them, um, whether you're watching this through your iTunes, uh, through any of our wonderful uh, channels of broadcast broadcasting. Thank you. And uh, so we look forward uh, to your questions, your comments, to any future shows that you would like us to bring forward. And uh, until next time, thank you so much.